everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Today, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com and myself will talk about Florida's win over Missouri. Uh, we will preview Florida's trip to Memorial Gym Wednesday night. Big game against the Commodores. And then um, we're actually going to spend some time kind of painting a picture of the national landscape a little bit uh, ahead of conference tournaments, which starts next week. So enjoy the show. All right, everybody, I'm back with Eric Fawcett of GatorCountry.com, and we are going to break down Florida's 64-60 escape against Missouri Saturday uh, in a, in a sold-out at Zach Tick Arena. It's a great environment. The Gators uh, managed to win, Eric, on a day when they played one pretty poor half of basketball. Yeah, I would say that was, uh, yeah, that was about as poor as it gets, and um... – I think that there's been some games that Florida has, has lost or had tough games this season where uh, you look at it and, you, and you think like, hey, that team's actually kind of really good. Like we play TCU. I, I was really impressed by them. Oklahoma, um, I probably thought they'd be, uh, uh, they'd be better the rest of the season after, after seeing them play the Gators. And, uh, but, I mean, to see that Missouri team, um, I, I, I don't think that's a very good basketball team. And, uh, and Florida obviously uh, was taken right down to the wire by them. And uh, – needed some breaks to kind of go their way. So uh, obviously to some, uh, to some a win is a win. I've not really ever been in that, uh, that kind of, kind of mindset. And I would say that um, I would say that the, uh, the, now that we're such a metrics driven world in basketball, that uh, kind of bears itself out. Like Florida won the game, but they dropped in Ken Palm. Um, Florida won that game, but, uh, but stayed the same in the net. It wasn't any, um, any advantage just because uh, the percentages weren't great. And it went, uh, their percentages weren't great against a team that's been quite poor this season. Um, so, yeah, I, speaking, of, uh, speaking of just good breaks, I mean, uh, Jeremiah Tillman has a really, really strong start to, the, uh, start to the game and obviously has tons of foul trouble and fouls out really early. Um, do you think that Florida, uh, wins, Florida wins by four when Jeremiah Tillman is essentially a non-factor because of only playing 15 minutes because of uh, foul trouble. Uh, do you think that Florida wins this game if Jeremiah Tillman is uh, plays kind of a, a regular 32, 33 minutes? Uh, I really don't. I mean, I thought I thought that Florida benefited immensely from both him and Pinson being uh, in foul trouble for Missouri and, and having – I mean, essentially Florida's big run that got them back in the basketball game – came with Tillman and Pinson on the bench with foul trouble. So was some of that Florida came out and played better with, and with more intensity defensively in particular in the second half. Sure. But I I just think that uh, Missouri was kind of getting the looks that they wanted uh, down low with Tillman and starting to part. and, And like we said in the, in the podcast last week, I mean, Missouri's ability to hit three point shots came after they were able to establish post. Yeah, it kind of all goes through them. And and uh, what was crazy, too, is that even the fact that when he was out of the game, I still thought that Missouri was kind of getting what they wanted in a lot of ways offensively. Um, one thing I thought was just really weird, like I really thought Florida lacked an intensity in this game on both ends. And I don't even mean that, like, I, I you know, as people listen to this podcast, no, I kind of try to stay away from that kind of mental side of it. But what I mean lacking intensity is um, Florida got caught 
uh, on their kind of switch pick and roll defense um, just by being completely kind of lethargic about it. Like, uh, for example, this happened to Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson where um, a pick and roll came and they went to switch it. And uh, the guy that was switching onto the ball handler let the ball handler turn the corner and get right down to the hoop. And that's kind of one of the things is if you're playing a switch defense, you're doing it so that the, the pick and roll ball handler can't just turn and go downhill towards the hoop. But there's times where, yeah, Jalen Hudson and, and, uh, and Kayvon Allen didn't actively switch, jump out towards the ball and, and meet that ball handler outside of the three point line. Uh, they just kind of, sidestepped slowly and it meant that um the ball handler was able to turn the corner and get right to the hoop and that is just that's that's terrible that can that is the exact thing you are trying to take away by switching and um it just it it was terrible and had mike white fired up on the sideline and uh so so that's what i kind of mean when i say they lacked um intensity because um playing with more intensity would be like hey switch switch um the other guy jumps out towards the ball meets him at the three-point line and cuts off any uh, any dribble penetration. And, and there's just some things like that. That's um, yeah. I just don't feel like the team played with um, uh, whatever, whatever kind of stereotype, whatever cliche you want to use. They weren't playing with fire. They weren't paying, playing with urgency, uh, whatever word you want to use there. Um, I thought we saw that. Well, Missouri gets nine offensive rebounds that lead to 12 second chance points. And they started the game by establishing the post, as we said, but they, they had looks from the perimeter in the first 10 minutes of the game. They just didn't hit any of them. Um, so what was interesting is that, you know, they start out by missing their first four three-point shots, and yet by the end of the first half, they were shooting 40% from three-point range. Missouri was. And that was with four makes. So they made, what, four of their next six. Uh, and really I thought, some of that was Florida collapsing down to help against bigs. And then some of that was that Florida had to stick with Isaiah Stokes in offensive possessions, which we saw again, Florida uh, is, is somewhat, you know, limited defensively when Stokes is in the game. Right. And it's just harder for Florida to close out. Um, We saw Stokes get beat off the bounce. Um, on one little curl play that Missouri ran in the first half. And, you know, as good as Isaiah's offense was in spots, you know, he still was three of seven from the field in the, in the extended time in the first half. I was a little bit surprised to see that he, uh, obviously this was the first game of the year where someone other than Kamari Hayes played uh, more, the most minutes at center. And it wasn't because Hayes was in foul trouble. It was just uh, kind of the decision they went with. And, uh, it was definitely uh, nice to see Stokes hit a mid-range jump shot and, and finish a couple times and hit, hit down low. But um, yeah, just like you mentioned, I feel like there's a lot of people that that think that Stokes is is this offensive juggernaut that you really need to get in the game. And and yeah, he was three of seven, so good good minutes, good minutes, no question. But uh, once again, I kind of say like if he's going to be playing eight, if he's going to play eighteen minutes, um, I honestly think the offensive output for him has to be more than six points because I don't think he's bringing that value uh, as much on the defensive end. Uh, I think he, like you said, was was giving up some points on that side. So, uh, but obviously he's he is getting better at uh, seemingly kind of every game over these last few weeks. So uh, maybe this is a step towards him, him getting better and getting more minutes with consistency will help him on the defensive end where he kind of learns the angles and positioning he needs to make up for the fact that he's obviously not super quick on his feet. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, we we did uh, just kind of like the last few times we've seen Stokes, we've seen some of the good and uh, seen some of the bad. So I thought that this was not a game that Florida would win a month ago, um, and I kind of wanted your thoughts on that because they shot twenty percent from three point range, um, which isn't going to win you very many games, but certainly this team was living or dying by that shot a month ago. They end up getting 30 free throws, um, making 25 of them, which is great. But a lot of that, again, seemed like just this commitment to get the ball in the paint. Yeah, and that's, that's really how it needs to be. And I, and I think that getting it into the paint, uh, I think that that's, uh, when you get the ball into the paint, the three-point shots are going to come because help comes when you get into the paint, and that means open jump shots. So this isn't even a matter of let's abandon the three-point shot. I think it's the getting the ball into the paint for, for in basketball is uh, it gives you the opportunity to get both three-point shots and easy lifts at the rim. And uh, obviously, they didn't shoot well from three at all, but they were you know 15 for 28 from two-point range, which is 53.6%, and that's that's yeah. really good. So uh, that's and I think that's the number that kind of around the 50% mark um, or better. That's kind of where, where you have to be from two and, and you have to be getting a, a few more. You have, that has to be a little bit more of your attempts. And that also led to the, to the free throws, which is the most efficient shot in basketball. So uh, I, I did, I did think that was uh, a little bit better to see that they could win on a night where they only hit three threes. And uh, also just, uh, just something you alluded to. They did, uh, they, they've lost a lot of these close games to, I would say lesser opponents this year. And that was one thing where luckily Florida didn't allow that to happen and, and, and executed enough down the stretch. So uh, that is kind of encouraging for uh, within just this, uh, this little run that Florida has beaten Missouri in a tight game. Uh, they beat LSU in a tight game. And uh, if you even look back uh, to that Vanderbilt game, there was even some, the last time they played Vanderbilt, there was even kind of some, some times down the stretch where you were uh, just a little bit nervous that they might let it slip and then they didn't. So, uh, I would say that those are some encouraging things over the last four games. Yeah, and certainly this one was was interesting because it was kind of um, against LSU that they they had enough offense right um, late to to hang on, get to overtime, and win. Right, they get the basket by Keontae Johnson. They get uh, Kayvon Allen's huge performance in overtime. Um, this one, Florida didn't make a basket in the last four seventeen of the game. I mean, they made a lot of free throws. They got fouled, but there were no field goals in the final 417. And yet called on to make stop after stop, Florida got stops. Yeah, and that is kind of the one thing that I, once again, I kind of look at Missouri's roster and I see that when they when they really needed a bucket, they went to Jordan Geist, who is not not big, not fast, not athletic. And I think has had, had a good career given that he doesn't have a lot of the physical gifts, but um, uh, with with uh, with Tillman out of the game, they didn't have a lot of options in a, other than Jordan Geist trying to make things happen. And uh, I do kind of just keep that in perspective when I think like, oh, Florida was finally able to get some stops uh, when right. they needed to. Because as we know, they when they really needed a stop against uh, Mississippi State, they couldn't do it. Uh, when they really needed stops against TCU, they couldn't get them. Uh, against going back towards Michigan Tennessee. State or Oklahoma, Tennessee. Yeah. They just couldn't get a stop when they needed. So I, I do think a little bit to myself, like, well, like they were tasked with, you know, an undersized, not athletic Jordan guys. Yeah. They're able to bottle him up, but I still probably need to see them get those stops they need to, but, uh, but Hey, you can also only play the, uh, you know, you, you play the opponent that's in front of you and, and what they needed to, they did get stops. And hopefully that's, uh, that gives them some confidence. 
I wanted to talk about um, Jalen Hudson because I felt like this was a game where I kind of give Jalen a lot of credit for Florida winning. Um, because I didn't think Ke- – I thought Keontae Johnson played one of his worst halves of the season uh, in the first half against Missouri. Um, you know, I thought he, he had some, some breakdowns defensively. He had a couple turnovers. Just wasn't that good. Now he makes critical rebounds down the stretch, and I don't want to get too sidetracked by a Keontae discussion. But Jalen Hudson defensively really, really impressive in this game. And I think some of that, I think you alluded to on the last show that he might be, it might just be that, you know, yeah, you say, well, he's undersized playing the four or playing a forward spot. But in a lot of ways it helps him because he is good at those duck downs and he, his hands are pretty good. Um, but he's not really great laterally in terms of being quick and he's not terribly effective as an on ball straight line drive defender. Uh, but you know, his active hands were, were pretty important for Florida between him and Kayvon Allen and just stabilizing Florida defensively in the second half and allowing the Gators to claw back in the game. Yeah. He had that one really good play where he, he came down on a dig down on a, on a post up and hit it off him and, and Florida got the basketball and that was great. And um, I wrote about this in Gator country the other day um, talking about just kind of Jalen Hudson's whirlwind year. And uh, one thing that I kind of thought after I, after I watched a bunch of his defensive possessions uh, was that the fact that I honestly think that him playing the four has really helped his defense because it no longer means that he has to guard a really elite perimeter threat. And that's the thing. About- that might've been where I saw it, by the way, it might've been. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I saw it on Gator country and not mentioned on this podcast. And I was like, ah, that's a good point. Cause we saw it kind of come to fruition Saturday against Mizzou. Right. And I mean, that's kind of the thing about, I think the thing about college basketball and, and kind of basketball on the whole is that um, the first tier of, of elite players offensively is always wings with size. Um, that seems to be just kind of the case all across the NBA, all across college basketball. Um, it's wings with size. So if, if Jalen Hudson's playing the three, uh, playing especially alongside uh, Kayvon Allen, who's a little bit smaller, it probably means that Kayvon Allen is taking, or uh, that Jalen Hudson is going to have to guard a lot of uh, really good um, athletic wings with size. And that's what he's had to do. And that is, uh, that is made for some tough matchups. And then you kind of look at college basketball in a whole and it's, you look at like where's the where's usually the weakest offensive player nowadays it's usually at the four so now that Jalen Hudson has had to play the four um, I do think that's really helped his defense that he's not having to guard the other team's first or second best player and also just the fact that uh, yeah the fact that he doesn't have to guard as many uh, as many sets on the perimeter where he has to keep a guy in front of him he's he's a lot more guarding guys that are primarily screeners or guys that'll take him down low and um yeah, I do actually think that's helped his defense, which is kind of funny. In all, in all the discussion about Florida having to play small, uh, I think it's kind of been lost that uh, that has actually helped out Jalen Hudson on the defensive end. <laughs> so uh, Jalen also had uh, his fifth straight game in double figures scoring. He's 5 of 14 on his last – or in his last three games from three-point range. Now, you might shrug and say, well, that's 14 shots. But I don't know, 5 of 14 – is still 36%. So when you shot, what, 20% the rest of the season, uh, that's an upward trajectory if we're being optimistic. Um, And then he had 10 rebounds, which was a season high against Missouri. And a couple of them really, you know, difficult rebounds after Florida got beat up pretty good on on the offensive glass. Because as we noted, 
you know, you say, well, Missouri only had nine offensive rebounds. That's not the 18 that LSU got. Well, this game was played at a much slower tempo. It's why when Florida was down 12 in the second half, you kind of, if you were like me, you probably were panicking a little bit because you're just wondering, you know, how are they going to get back in this game possessions-wise? But I thought Jalen's best game um, this season, honestly. Yeah, uh, first of all, I, I was terrified by the lead Missouri had. Uh, so I, for sure, there was that, I was like, you panicking. But uh, yeah, and uh, once again, this is kind of just um, a longstanding thing that I feel about Jalen Hudson's game. And, and also, uh, after I did my, my article, kind of looking at, at how he's kind of gotten a little bit better, um, I, I kind of like that he only had three three-point attempts. And I mean, he hit one of them, which is, which is manageable. But I think his game just looks a lot better. Uh, when he gets into the paint and then he's looking to drive his, his man off the dribble. And I think that it's best for his individual offense. And I think it's best for the team's offense because um, I don't think that Kayvon Allen is always, is always great at getting by his man. And, and Andrew Nemhart has been improving there, but it's not, I wouldn't say elite in that area. Noah Locke, uh, not very good in that area. So, so Florida needs guards that can, that can break their guy down and get into the, get into the paint. So uh, I thought, I liked that that was kind of, that seemed to be a little bit of his, his primary, uh, primary thing he was looking to do when he got the basketball and uh, I think that that's uh, that's putting points on the board that's helping Florida's offense and uh, hopefully getting his uh, confidence up as well yeah that sounds uh, that, that I think that's right <laughs> I think that's right um, another slow start for cave on Allen I mean do you is there anything that you're seeing just watching there that that's going on with him in first halves I mean I know you know, Allen was pretty frank about it with the media after the game and was just like, well, you know, I'm not trying to not make baskets in the first half. I think he's, you know, doesn't want that to continue. But certainly I thought from the instant that the second half began, he was a much different player. I mean, he makes a steal in the opening possession, leads to a, a scoring opportunity for Florida and, you know, so forth. Well, I, I think that Kayvon Allen is just a guy that takes tough shots. Um, I would say he takes bad shots a lot of the time. And when you do that, you're going to be inconsistent. <laughs> and that's one thing I have noticed about the way that Florida's offense has ran, uh, has ran the last uh, few weeks as, they have, as they've gotten into these more Princeton concepts is that that hasn't been, um, that hasn't been super great for, for Kayvon Allen. And I mean, you look at his, uh, you look at his last, uh, his, his kind of games within that was like, okay, Missouri, he gets hot in the second LSU. He gets hot in the second, but was bad in the first uh, Alabama, uh, he had he had a good game there. Just struggled against Vanderbilt, struggled against Tennessee, um, struggled against Auburn, struggled against Kentucky, and uh, just kind of uh, when you look at all these, I uh, struggled against Ole Miss. To be honest, when when they even when they won that, it was not super efficient. But again, got caught in the second. Um, I, I don't think that he is he's gotten his own offense out of those out of that the kind of team schemes anymore. And it's mean it means that he takes a lot of pretty tough shots. And I thought something that was kind of interesting as well was. Uh, when you know, when um a- after the LSU game, when Kayvon Allen was asked about that second three he hit in overtime, that was um, conventional wisdom at that point would have been pull the t- pull it back out and um, and use some clock off that offensive rebound, and then instead he pulled a three and he hit it luckily, and that put the game out of reach, but was a uh, not a great shot, and he kind of just shrugged and said, "Well, like he's like, well, I get in trouble for not taking that shot in the past." And like, yeah. I still think that that shows that he is not on the same page with the coaching staff because I know that there's all the talk about, yeah, yeah, like came on out and need to be aggressive. Um, but I, I still don't think he 
fully recognizes what that means because, and it was kind of evidenced by him saying like, oh, well, I've gotten in trouble for not taking that shot in the past. And what I wanted, what I would have said is like, no, I don't think you've ever gotten in trouble for not taking a shot when you should have used clock. Um, you get it, you get in trouble for getting that shot in rhythm when it comes um, out of the ball being swung and you've got a good looking <laughs> shot and it said you don't take that one, but you take the bad dribble pull up seven seconds in the fuck. So I, I honestly just think that there's a little bit of a problem with shot selection from him. And I thought that that evidence that when he was talking about that, and uh, I, I think that that's just going to lend itself to having some, uh, some pretty, um, uh, some pretty kind of hot and cold times. And also just the fact that uh, I, I think that that's why he is a little bit, sometimes in the first half, he doesn't get, uh, he doesn't get good shots. And, and that's because he doesn't know which ones that he really should be taking or doesn't take. And then, uh, then the second half, he's going to take those shots regardless. Cause that's what he does. And then um, luckily we've kind of seen him get hot a few times. Yeah. That's uh that seems uh, to be a pretty fair way of evaluating it. I also think sometimes he, he passes up. I mean, he still passes up shots that he should take, which is also part of shot selection, right? I mean, he <laughs> he had a possession late in the game. We know about the last play against LSU, but certainly he had a possession late in the game against Missouri where, you know, pretty clearly had a chance for, for a layup um, where at, at a minimum he would have drawn contact the way that Missouri had been defending. And he kicks out to Andrew Nimhard, and, like, it was a nice pass. and Nimhard was open, but Nimhard also hadn't taken a shot the entire game. And you're bypassing a great shot for a good one. So I think uh, you don't want to do that. Um, no. You know, that's like one of the fundamental rules of basketball offense is don't bypass great shots for good shots. Uh, and, and Nimhard rattled it in and out, right? Um, so that was actually, I think, I don't know if, it, I think that was Nimhard's only field goal attempt. Uh, so it was like a flashback to his Montverde games where he'd have these games at Montverde where he'd, he'd not take a shot and he'd end up with like seven assists and six rebounds. And you're kind of like, okay. But I guess yeah, that, was, that was his only shot attempt. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> when you play with uh, RJ Barrett and all the people he was playing with, I, you know, he's kind of just like, all right, well, I don't really have to score. Um, so it was interesting that, that he – you know, he didn't really shoot. Uh, but, yeah, so I think that's another issue that, that Kayvon has, and it's, 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 it merits uh, continued observation. But, you know, as Mike White said, he's kind of in the bottom of the ninth of his uh, college career now, so I doubt that it's going to change. Yeah, I think what, that's, that's Jalen Hudson's thing as well. Like, I mean, he's a guy who's just taken – bad shots his whole career so at 23 <laughs> years old do you expect him to, to change that uh i don't think that's uh, the case a little bit so I, i'm glad that um you know jalen hudson has definitely gotten to start to get into the paint a little bit more than he has well a lot more actually to be honest than he has the rest of his career so uh there's definitely an element of improvement there but generally speaking i, I think it's right if you get to, to this point um, uh your kind of uh, shot selection probably is what it is yeah and i mean cave to his credit has been more aggressive this season and they've, you know, he's had to be because, because Jalen Hudson ghosted about half the season. So I think, you know, it's good that Jalen can have a scoreless first half now and then still fire away in the second half instead of being tentative, not taking shots or withdrawing himself from games, which we saw a lot last year. And, you know, I never, I was never really a big believer in the theory that that was all because Igor Kulichov was there. 
like I think a lot of that had to do with Tavon too. Um, cause, cause you know, and I say that because we know that Mike White always be like, shoot, Kayvon, keep shooting. Right. So I think Kayvon Allen is one of those guys who, who can still fill it up at volume. So they, they give him a little bit more Liberty to take his shots because he is so streaky. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, I do think that's, uh, the fact that he has gotten hot and, and won some games for the Gators with his, with his, uh, just ability to shoot off the dribble. I think that's kind of the good and the bad with a guy that's going to take bad shots. And uh, yep. you even look at the fact that Jalen Hudson won won the Gators games last year by his ability to hit shots off the dribble that were tough shots. And uh, unfortunately, has probably lost the Gators some games this year by uh, by being ineffective. So I, I, it's a little bit of those, uh, those, those feast or famine kind of players. And Florida happens to have two of them. And uh, if they both happen to get hot at the same time, this could be a, a really dangerous team. But uh, there's also going to be some some frustrating moments. So I do think it's the uh, what you kind of live and die with. Yeah, and, and as Eric and I have mentioned repeatedly on the podcast, I mean, he's his defensive rating is 91, so it's third best among SEC guards and top 30 in America among guards. A uh, little research that I did for the show, guys. Nice. So, um, yeah, and you know, Jordan Bone. Ashton Haggins, Kayvon Allen, those are the three. So when you get that kind of defense from an undersized guy, he has a great body, which we always – we never really talk about that because he's not tall, right? But he does have a good body for defense. And, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, you're just going to take it like Eric said. You just take the good with the bad. So that's kind of it for Florida, Missouri, unless Eric had anything else to add. Uh, No, I think that's good. So I wanted to – we're, we're going to talk about House of Horrors at the end of the show. Um, but we're a week from conference tournaments, so I kind of wanted to put Eric on the spot and play, like, a fun game of uh, around the nation. All right. <laughs> if, if, if Eric's – you know, if you're up for it. Absolutely. Um, so who's your – well, let's start with what, what conference tournament – Outside, outside of the Power Six, are you looking forward to the most? Outside the Power Six, um, I would say probably the Southern Conference, just because um, I think that that's a league that's going to have uh, potentially like I don't know three bids, just because of the way that um, uh, just the way yeah. teams like uh, like Wofford has played and Furman, and if uh, if I if a team like UNC Greensboro wins it or. Um, a team, someone else kind of wins it other than like if East Tennessee win, wins it or something like I, I think that both um, Furman and Wofford might find themselves into the uh, into the at-large picture. I think Wofford for sure. Furman's probably on the outside looking in, but there's a chance. So I'm kind of looking at that tournament to see like, hey, does does uh, does East Tennessee State or or UNC Greensboro kind of uh, steal that one? And um, if Florida's still sitting on the bubble, maybe I'll have to be cheering for uh, to make sure that Wofford does win that one and there's not another bid stolen. But um, I think it's just crazy because I think that the Southern Conference is going to have more bids than the Pac-12. So you said, uh, what am I excited for more than, you know, outside of the Power Six? Well, like, I think I'm more excited for the Southern Conference tournament than, uh, than the Pac-12. Nice. So I'm going to cop out on this answer and say that um, I'm looking forward to the American Conference tournament. So, and I, it's not Power Six. It's, like, really close, right? Yeah. Next year. Um, yeah, like probably like the next conference. But I think that's maybe a four-bid league. Um, and so I'm really interested because I, I feel like the scenario where it's where it's 
not a four big league, I guess, is if one of the three favorites, Houston, Cincinnati, and Temple, um, don't win that conference tournament, which is which seems to me to be possible because like USF is pretty good, Memphis is pretty good, and Central Florida can really play. Yeah, it's a, it's just an interesting conference in the American, just because um, uh, just because even like uh, like Wichita State has been pretty bad this year, is not going to factor in whatsoever. And um, yeah, yeah. And SMU has had some. Uh, had, uh, they've got some players I really like. Um, Isaiah Mike is a player I really like, and I thought that they'd be a little bit better. And even obviously UConn, a team that people have kind of been waiting to be better for. So there's there's a lot of like interesting teams that could make that uh, make that tournament just really good from just like an enjoyable uh, basketball standpoint. Like I would I would love to see that. Uh, I don't know exactly how the seeds are going to work out, but I mean if it's a if if it's a like a like a Memphis UConn game somewhere in there, like that's that's really interesting. Not not teams that are the at large picture, but like that's going to be a really interesting game and between two teams that could kind of go and, uh, and win the tournament. But um, I know, and I also know that you're just uh, a really, really big fan of Houston too. So, so hopefully seeing them, uh, I, I'm kind of interested actually, honestly, to, to, to see like, like Houston obviously is 26 and one right now. And their one loss was like just barely the temple on the road. And uh, I'm, yeah, now last in, possession. Yeah, I'm now interested to see if, uh, if Houston can go in and win their tournament and answer the NCAA, NCAA tournament with only one loss uh, being a, really close loss on the road. And I one interested to see how they seed them. And, uh, and two, I just think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, they're, they are, they're really one possession from being Wichita state a few years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like if, you, if you, th- if you think about it that way, like, cause I mean, they probably, I don't know if they'd be number one today. Um, we're recording on Monday uh, with Gonzaga, Gonzaga, the new number one. I didn't look. Yes. Yes, they are. Blue. Okay. So I'm, Gonzaga, yeah. not yeah. Virginia. Gonzaga, not Virginia. That makes sense. I, I have no issue with that. I have no issue with either, like, whatever the verdict was going to be, I was fine with. Because um, I don't really think it impacts seating. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you think about it. They're basically one possession from being where Wichita State was. And, of course, uh, Wichita State played what I, what I think was one of the greatest tournament games of all time. It just happened to happen in the round of 32 against Kentucky. Right. And those, so. yeah. And, and that's this kind of one of those, uh, those interesting stories that I'm sure there's going to be some, uh, you know, if, if Houston goes into, uh, uh, I guess they'd be like third or they'd be more than 30 and one if they won out, I guess they'd be like 32, 33 and one entering the NCAA tournament. And, uh, I just yeah. really interested to see like how, what the general consensus is, um, uh, like just what the like general fan, how they kind of are filled out in brackets and stuff. I, I would be really interested by that. So, um, Who's your favorite mid-major? Uh, my favorite mid-major is is probably Wofford, as I mentioned before. But I would definitely say that, uh, uh, like, if anyone who looks at the metrics, the, the best mid-major is Buffalo, which is um, just really interesting to see that, like, in the in the net, they're, like, 13th or something, which is just crazy. Like, that's how high Buffalo is. Um, in Ken Palm, uh, let me look. I bet they're – yeah, they're 20th in Ken Palm, which is higher than Nevada, which is a lot of uh, – you know, a lot of people think that's – that would be one of the best kind of mid-majors. Um, they're higher than LSU, higher than Mississippi State. Uh, so, uh, so Buffalo is uh, is an answer up there for sure. I just think the metrics show that they're kind of the best, uh, the best mid-major. And uh, just another one that I that I really really like is is Utah State. Uh, mostly they've got the center um, named Nabias uh, Kita, I think is how you pronounce his name. But uh, he's a Spanish player. And he's like NBA like NBA people just love him, um, and uh, he's just a guy who's just super super good. 
at scoring on the inside. He's just got really, really good hands. He's just kind of plays that like European big man kind of style where he just uh, has such good touch when he passes the ball or, or finishes, but also has kind of the, uh, the size to, to battle kind of in the, uh, uh, in the kind of American game and, and guard on the perimeter as, as a bit as well. So um, I, I think there's been so many good mid majors this year that I think that in the normal kind of season, um, Utah State would be one of the ones that would be kind of uh, really interesting to a lot of people, but it's because there's so many it's kind of fallen out. So I'll make sure to shout out Utah State. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And Buffalo uh, has has some scalps too. I mean, they beat Syracuse. Uh, they beat West Virginia. And I know it's like, oh, they're terrible. Well, they beat like Kanate full strength West Virginia like Florida did, which right. I, <laughs> I still feel like is a little bit different having seen West Virginia in person and watch them like without Kanate and watch them with him. And it's just a different animal. Um, you know, so it's not like, it's, it's not like Buffalo didn't challenge itself out of conference. They, they played Marquette and it was a close game for 30 minutes. And then um, Marquette kind of pulled away because they made a lot of baskets, which Marquette is prone to make a lot of baskets. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Um, I like them. I, I'm with you. I think Wofford is, is definitely my favorite. I, I wish I had – if I was a gambling person, um, I would have bet a lot of money on the Wofford-Furman game this weekend. I was very <laughs> confident in, in what the result would be, and, and I proved to be right, but gambling's never really been my thing. Um, Lipscomb is another one we, we haven't mentioned uh, that I think – you know that they uh, are are pretty good. Um, they've got a couple really excellent players, Garrison Matthews and Rob Marbury, uh, who who you know, Eric has been harping on the importance of the uh, the swings in college basketball, and like Rob Marbury is six seven and two ten and gets to the rim. Uh, Garrison Matthews is six five and he's just a nightmare to guard. Um, and then they've got the guy that you envision when you think of mid-majors, so Kenny Cooper, the little six-foot, oh, two-guard who just hits everything, right? Um, <laughs> so they're a team that might, you know, consider a warrant at large uh, consideration, aren't they? Yeah, they beat TCU early in the, uh, on the road, obviously. So that was kind of – they've got that kind of pretty, uh, uh, pretty good marquee win. And uh, I think that uh, I think that that league has been has been uh, decent enough with because Liberty is another really good mid major team that I don't think will get that larger in that in that picture, but um, has been good enough to uh, to provide a, a good kind of uh, get that quality of competition up. But uh, and if, if they do get into the tournament, I'll be really interested to see um, what they can do. They'll be pretty matchup dependent because Liberty just or sorry um, Lipscomb just plays really really fast. Uh, on both sides of the floor and just kind of makes a really frantic game. And it kind of reminds me a bit of a team that also plays in their league in Florida Gulf coast when they went, uh, when they went on their tournament run a few years back, just the way that uh, they played so quickly and, and just played so fast that if, if things started to go wrong for, um, for their opponents, like uh, uh, they would just kind of be able to put up points really quickly. And that is a little bit different than kind of the teams we've seen go on like bigger runs, like uh uh, like a Loyola Chicago that, that plays slow and can kind of uh, l- limit variance by their low possession games. I think that, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, I, and I think that that's probably the style that is shown to win out a little bit more, but if you're looking for a team that could win the first game upset, 
uh, Lipscomb is going to be really interesting because if they play a team like, um, you know, say say Lipscomb's uh, maybe a 13 or 14 seed, and if they have like a 14-3 game against like Wisconsin, uh, someone who really follows brackets will probably tell me that I have both of those seeded wrong, but just say something like that. <laughs> but they, if they play a, like a, they, a really good team that's really slow and there's a, there's kind of a big style difference. Um, I could see that uh, I could see one of those games that maybe Lipscomb goes up, scores four of their first six buckets and is up by a few points and then just goes on a secondary run right at the start of the second half and just puts out a reach. So I, I don't think I would take them to go deep, but I think I might take them to, uh, to win one game. Well, sure. I mean, I would say Michigan State. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not – I know how good Cassius Winston and Nick Ward are, but, like, it's kind of styles make fights. And that's one of those ones where if you if you get hot shooting and you just make Cassius Winston beat you, I mean, he did it against Michigan, sure, certainly not yesterday. It was a great game. But, but they're not – I don't consider the Spartans to be particularly explosive offensively. Like, they're efficient – there's there's you know it's not enough to just be efficient um that said uh you know i don't know if lipskin would get an at-large though they kind of lost their chance i think they lost to florida golf coast this weekend that's a pretty crushing loss for an at-large application and they led according to win probability that they were in the 70s the for 30 plus minutes against louisville and ended up losing that game by four um, and that would have been huge because Louisville's kind of a team that's slipping back towards the bubble. They've lost four or five. Their one win was beating Clemson at the buzzer, which, you know, they <laughs> they all count the same on the resume, right? But right. certainly not trend, trending the right way for Chris Mack's team. And, like, when you evaluate those things, a lot of times they do get evaluated comparatively, and that could be a problem for Lipscomb. So they might be a team that has to to win their conference tournament, which is going to be a tall order. Yeah, I was just I just pulled up bracket matrix, which is kind of the thing I I normally use for when I look when I look at something bracketology, just because yeah, it just uses everyone's brackets, puts them into a, a kind of yeah, makes a cumulative one based on uh, based on all those different predictions, and and it actually has Lipscomb as a twelve seed, so uh, which would and they do have them winning their like winning their conference and being a twelve seed, but any team that's on the twelve line um, that puts them pretty you know on the bubble, so uh, I would say they're probably on they'd be sweating it out pretty, uh, pretty hard if they didn't win their conference. But uh, yeah, if they do get in, very interesting team. Yeah. Belmont is another team that's, that's just like that. I think pretty interesting in terms of, you know, if they're, if they're in the tournament, um, that's, that's a dangerous team, not one that you really want to play from the Ohio Valley conference. Uh, if, the, but they have their strange team, they have two losses to Jacksonville state. Yeah. <laughs> which is okay. And then, um, but, but they have some nice wins when I mean, they beat UCLA, of course, and that led to uh, Steve Alford getting fired. Well, they didn't beat Purdue. They, they played Purdue a close game. They beat Lipscomb twice. Um, I believe. So we just mentioned, yeah, there's the comparative uh, argument, right? Like you beat Lipscomb so you played them and you beat them multiple times. So, um, but Belmont, another team, you know, not going to necessarily match up against a super athletic team, but if they if they get somebody that is not quite as athletic and they can just shoot um, and get out to a to a big early lead and then defend, you know, give me a Rick Bird team in the tournament. Yeah, and they've got Dylan Windler, who's uh, an NBA wing. Like I'm quite certain he's going to be in the NBA next year. So uh, 
which is not what you yeah, expect from a from, a from a Belmont <laughs> team to have an, an NBA wing. Right. But uh, but yeah, he's kind of had he's kind of has that ability to take over a game um, on his own, and they they all kind of shoot the ball enough well enough around him to uh, yeah to be again a really interesting team on your bracket if they if they make it in. So, you want to do one more of these, like, just around basketball ones? Yeah, sure. All right. So, what's a uh, – give me a power six team that's on the bubble that you think – you look at them and you say, oh, they could make the Sweet 16. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay. On the bubble. <laughs> like – This massive bubble that we have. Yeah, that's – this is actually a good year for that question because I feel like the bubble is so large that uh, – um, yeah, there's probably a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, individuals that you could pick than the normal. And and honestly, as much as like I am very much been just ragging on on this conference, of course, like many other people have, and I've even ragged on this team. But you look at Arizona State, and I still think that's a team that they could kind of get hot and, and win some games just uh, just based on the fact that they can be pretty explosive uh, scoring. They've also just been so ice cold at times, but. You know, an Arizona, an Arizona State team that, that beat Mississippi State playing tough, um, that beat Kansas, uh, that I, I think that's uh, – and they beat Can- – you know, you were mentioning beating West Virginia when they were good. They also beat Kansas when Kansas was really good. I, so, um, yeah, uh, that's a team that I could just uh, – that has all the uh, all the potential to just get hot and go on a tournament run just because um, I love Lou Dorn. I just think he's uh, – he plays like James Harney, just so strong with the basketball. And they just use him to pick and roll over pick and roll and – um, and kind of they, they've got those wings in Kamani Lawrence and Romello White that they kind of uh, bring the kind of switchability that like hypothetically should make them decent in a lot of matchups. Um, I just think that, uh, yeah, I just think that they make some kind of brain dead ex- errors. And I feel like they have Bobby Hurley screaming on the sideline and, and losing his cool that doesn't really help out his team as much as he probably thinks it does. And um, that's, that's a team that, I could see just getting if they make it into the tournament, also just getting absolutely hammered by anyone in the first uh, in the first game. But I could also see uh, <laughs> see them getting some good matchups. That means they win a couple of games. So I'll say Arizona State. And now I would also say, in my opinion, they are pretty firmly on the bubble, at least in my mind. Yeah, no, I think they're they might even you. There's some scenarios where they're on the bad side of the bubble right now, actually. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when I would, I'm going to go with Baylor just because history says that Scott Drew will find a way to get to the Sweet 16. <laughs> um, I could have gone with Louisville, actually. I know I just ripped them because they've lost four or five and we're lucky to win the one they won. But we've also seen the upside where they can run North Carolina out of a building. So, you know, I don't know if you can find that formula and bottle it up. Um, and so, of it, so much of it is matchup dependent. I guess – the better thing that I look for is like who rebounds well and is like really elite in one area. Right. And it's not so crippling deficient in the other, like a VCU is fourth nationally in defensive efficiency. Right. And that's a pretty in- impressive number, but they're 183rd in offense, which just not going to cut it. Um, like, I feel like that's too fatally skewed in one direction. And, and they are kind of in the middle nationally in rebounding. So that wouldn't be the type of team I would choose. But to me, Baylor is a little more balanced, like 23rd in offense, 55th in defense efficiency, um, 110th in rebounding. And then Mark Vitale is like a beast on the offensive glass. King McClure, 
Uh, it's a pretty good player that I think, you know, gives him a chance to, to, to match up with a lot of people. And, and then Drew is just a really good X and O guy. So that would probably be like my power six team. Although I'm not really sure that Baylor is in any way, shape or form on the bubble. So I might not get credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they, uh, if they find their way in, I mean, uh, that is a team that, uh, like you were talking about how they have a coach that you believe in. And I certainly believe in him as well. And after I just said that, I don't believe in Bobby Hurley. I actually think that um, betting on uh, betting on a coach you really like is, is one that uh, that that's probably a better, uh, a better way to, to go in and choosing a team that you think could go on a run. But um, yeah, not sure if they'll, if they'll find their way in. I think they've got some work to do, but uh, they beat Iowa State the other day and they have opportunities because uh, you know, they played a good conference. So if they can upset a Kansas or uh, get a win at a Texas team that I don't think is as good as some do. And, and I think Baylor matches up well with, um, yeah, they could, yeah, they could find themselves in the picture and uh, that would be a team I would cheer for. Yeah. What about NC state? <laughs> is there a tougher, they might be almost as hard to figure out as Florida. Yeah. I, I find, <laughs> I find them pretty challenging. Um, I just think that they, well, the one thing too, though, is I, they, I, I just am really uh, jealous at the fact that, um, uh, that they got Wyatt Walker as a grad transfer because when I watch him play, I just really wish that Florida got him. He just has really good hands down low and can finish super well off drop-off passes and um, is just beautiful to watch. But um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just, when they, watching them lose to, uh, watching them lose to like Pittsburgh and, and Notre Dame. And then they, I watched them one day where they had a really tough game against Wake Forest, who's bad. I, I, I don't know. I, they're one of those teams that, and this is what I feel like a lot of basketball fans find themselves into in, in college basketball, that there's just some teams that whenever I – everyone has them that I feel like whenever you watch them, you just – they're terrible. And obviously you know that they're not terrible because you look at the games <laughs> they win. But they always happen to win when you don't watch and always just seem to play bad when you do watch. And I just, I just feel like I've, every game I've watched of, of NC State, um, they've been really bad. But I obviously follow the game and see that they have gotten some good wins and, and stuff. But uh, I, now as I just pull up their Ken Palm and look at it, um, I feel like, you know, you look at like, who is their best win? Um, Clemson at home looks to be their best win. Oh, I guess they beat Auburn. 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 They did beat Auburn at home. And that would have been so, so, Auburn, okay. so those are, yeah, Auburn at home and, and Clemson at home is pretty good. But then um, you look at all the other kind of uh, best opponents they've had. They have lost to uh, lost to a lot of them, including the famous game against Virginia tech where they lost 47 to 24. <laughs> and uh, put, put up 24 points at home. And that's a team that's, um, you know, they're 27th in offense in Ken Palm. And they put up, uh, yeah, they were, yeah, they put up 24 points at home against a Virginia Tech team that's good defensively, but not even great. So uh, that was, maybe that just left such yeah. a sour taste in my mouth. I can't believe in them. Gators and Commodores. Um, Wednesday night, nine o'clock tip. 8 p.m. Central Time. Um, they really haven't had like huge drop-offs in attendance. They're the season they're having, and people seem to show up. Uh, and and you know, Florida's track record there is not great. Um, you know, like we said on the last show, kind of Florida's own personal house of horrors. Uh, the last Gator team to win there was uh, the famous. Starting five, uh, Wilbekin, Young, Prather, you get that group. Um, so Florida does play close games up there. I looked at the last four, and they were all decided by six points or less. But um, certainly Florida will have its hands full 
Uh, give some thoughts on the matchup. Well, Vanderbilt's kind of stuck around, and you, you look at their schedule, and um, for a team that uh, hasn't won in conference, uh, they haven't gotten as embarrassed as many times as, as someone might think. And, and it's not like they've necessarily even played a lot of these teams super tight, other than they played Tennessee into an overtime game, which was wild. But yeah, you know, they lost to, these are their last few games. They lost to uh, Alabama by seven. They lost by 12 to Tennessee, but that one kind of got away late. Um, they lost by uh, they lost by 11 to Auburn, also kind of got away late. Then there was the Florida game that uh, this, the nine points Florida won by, and the game was probably felt like it was closer than that spread as well. And you just kind of look, and it's a Vanderbilt team that kind of seems to be able to uh, to stick around. And uh, and when, obviously, Vanderbilt's going to be at home, that's uh, pretty scary for a Florida team that just played pretty poorly against Missouri. And uh, I also just, uh, you look at the game that, that Florida had against Vanderbilt the first matchup, um, and, Aaron, and Aaron Neesmith just kind of cooked him over and over and over again. And I'm really interested to see how Florida responds to that. Um, the other thing that I was just to, to kind of keep an eye on is just the fact that um, Florida won, looked badly, but that was the game where, uh, where Kayvon Allen only had had six points with one field goal and Noah Locke was also one for 10. So that was the, uh, that was, uh, yeah, the, the one for nine from Kayvon Allen and, and one for 10 from Noah Locke. And uh, I'd have to think those two players play a little bit better. Yeah, I would, I would say that that would be uh, what, what you'd hope. Um, I kind of think it's a tricky week for Florida just because I actually watch a lot of Georgia too uh, this week. And it was just kind of like they were on, but, um, really close game against Ole Miss. What I saw of it, uh, obviously played LSU really close right before Florida played LSU really close right before LSU beat Tennessee without Tremont Waters. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know Georgia played Miss State close. So I think Florida has its work cut out for them as we saw against Missouri against anybody. Um, the flip side of what Eric's saying, I guess, is that you know uh, Simashola too did not really play very well against Florida the first time. And, you know, he's a guy that is, is probably an NBA player uh, that, that could get loose. Yeah, he, he kind of has the potential to be a guy that could really kind of pound Florida down low, and we just really didn't see that at all from uh, from Vanderbilt the first matchup. And uh, I wonder if they try to uh, try to get more positions where they do get him down low with uh, Jalen Hudson guarding him, or, um, or even they probably wouldn't mind the matchup of Keontae Johnson and try to play – try to play kind of inside out other than that. Um, I'm sure that Aaron Smith is going to get his, uh, his opportunities again, because uh, Florida couldn't keep him in front at all. He just seemed to, uh, he got by Andrew Nemhard, he got by Kayvon Allen and uh, kind of kind of, hey, what? I mean, I haven't watched every Vanderbilt game, but I'd have to imagine that play, play against Florida. That was probably the best he play all, played all year. And um, yeah, I'm curious to see uh, Saban Lee, the uh, guy that's been uh, pretty important from this, this season, but he, uh, had a pretty quiet one against Florida, so that's another player I'll be looking for a bounce back. But uh, I, one one thing that I was uh, I was really comp- like I, I really liked the way that uh, that Matt Ryan played. Um, I thought that him and uh, him and Cleavon Brown both played really good, and even uh, uh, Yanni Wetzel when he got in the game really good as well. Um, I really thought that they did a good job of uh, of screening well, of, of sealing their guys on drives. So there, there was a couple plays where uh, where Neesmith beat his man off the dribble, and Kavari uh, Sayers was trying to step in to go protect the rim. And uh, but the the moment that uh, that Neesmith got by his man, uh, Matt Ryan just kind of headhunted 
uh, Kavarius Hayes got a body on him, sealed him off, and, and there was no rim protection. So just little, little things like that. I think um, Vanderbilt does well. I do think that they're really coached. And, um, you know, after you, uh, after you talked about, uh, about Scott Drew, we, we got to talk about his brother, Bryce Drew. You know, I think that those are the, you know, the most underrated brothers in coaching in college basketball. I would take those two over the Miller brothers for sure, especially right about now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, so I do think. Speaking of Will Wade. Oh yeah. For anyone who uh, that, yeah. Yeah. If anybody missed that. So we're recording only a couple of hours after the, the story broke that Will Wade has been subpoenaed to testify under oath in the, uh, in the big basketball scandals. So, you know, I mean, there was a lot of whispers around the LSU program and, I don't even know if they were really whispers, were they, Eric? <laughs> no, well, I mean, but, yeah, like, like I know we're joking about this news, but it's really not a surprise. Yeah, I mean, none of this, none of this is surprising. Um, and I don't know, say that out of like hatred for Will Wade. It's just like you said, it, it's not even been whispers. It's players that were already openly kind of found out, and many of them were recruited by Will Wade. And yeah, anyways, right? And I, yeah, exactly. Like, and, not, and none of it. It's, I mean, I think you can divorce you know, how you get your players and how all that goes down from the, the coaching piece of it. And, you know, certainly the job Will Wade's done at LSU this season is phenomenal. And especially in the wake of the, the Wade Sims tragedy and all that stuff, but uh, not a good look um, <laughs> on the other end. Uh, as for Bryce Drew, I mean, that's what I would say is, you know, there's a lot of advice and some questions about, I mentioned it the last time Florida played Vanderbilt, it was questions about whether or not, um, the new athletic director will retain him. Uh, you know, the one thing that they have that's an advantage is that the current athletic director was, uh, was the former director of the G league. Uh, so he understands basketball and him and Bryce seem to be close. And that should tell you all you really need to know. Um, that and the fact that like Eric said, Vanderbilt has really competed for Bryce Drew. It's not like they've quit on the season. Yeah, I, I think that they still play really good basketball, and they don't they don't look defeated. I mean, look at the difference between them and, and Georgia, where uh, Georgia's players have kind of been uh, there's kind of been some some angry players there, and they they obviously have Tom Crean openly kind of ridiculing his players, and and obviously yeah. so um, yeah, I just think that uh, I I do think that uh, I, I really like Bryce Drew, and I think that it would be. Uh, kind of I, I would definitely hold on to him and I'm not sure who they would get this better and I mean that's a pretty tough place to recruit to just academically with those uh with those kind of limitations and everything so uh I I hope for his sake and honestly for the league's sake that he stays there but uh and they've also got a decent um they've got a decent recruiting class in in 2019 as well uh, they've got a couple uh kind of fringy top 100 players if I recall correctly so I I don't think you because obviously they well, they lost Darius Garland, but he barely got on the floor for them, unfortunately. So, right. And um, I'm guessing they'll lose to two as well. But, um, you know, that, I think Neesmith's kicking around and he's staying around. He's a really good player. And I think they've got a good recruiting class in, in 2019 as well. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, if Vanderbilt's kind of uh, uh, much improved next year. And, um, uh, yeah, and uh, I think, uh, yeah, I hope they don't fire him. Just, and I also don't think it'd be wise for them to fire him. Yeah, and I don't think they will. The one thing I'll say about Saban Lee, and Florida did a really nice job against him last last game um, with Michael Caru actually is harassed him on the ball, and he's been forced into this role as primary ball handler. And I think also what's happened as a result is that Bryce had to reorient his whole bench, right? So, especially in the backcourt. And so if you look at Saban Lee's minutes, 
I mean, you know, you've got a guy that, that like Andrew Nimhard, had a 42-minute game against Tennessee like Nimhard did against LSU. <laughs> he had, but, but then after the 48, his minutes were 37 against Oklahoma, 38 against Kentucky, 35 Missouri, 37 against Alabama, 37 against Florida, 37 against Auburn, 39 in the Tennessee rematch. So you get what the point I'm making is that that's just a really, really tall ask, even for a kid that's in as good a shape as Saban Lee is and as athletic as Saban Lee is. And it started to show in his numbers. I mean, he was a guy that was filling it up at, you know, 15, 16, 17 points a game in early in SEC play. He had 10 straight games and double figures. His last four games, four points against Florida, four against Auburn, eight against Tennessee on two of five shooting, six against Alabama on two of eight. So he's really slowed down. It's kind of limited their ability to compete offensively. Yeah, that, and that's just kind of um, been something that's, uh, that, I, that I think has been lacking. And you look at uh, you look at if they just kind of had someone like that going, how, how much different the, uh, the season complexion would be. Yeah. Um, I also just – so I just looked at uh, Vanderbilt's – going back to their recruiting and how they at least have some talent going forward. So they've got a, they've got a, a four-star power forward in Dylan Dessou. Um, who I know a lot of people really like, and he's uh, 103rd in the composite. Then they've also got a, a shooting guard with really good size at 6'6", named Isaiah Crowley, who is 121st. I don't know anything about him, but he's 121st. And then, I, and I totally forgot about this, but I, it did jar my memory. I saw it. They've got um, Scotty Pippen Jr. coming to Vanderbilt next year. So, uh, yes, oh. that is the son of uh, Hall of Famer, um, Scotty Pippen. So that's pretty interesting. And um, he, which he's also a three-star, which I know it's always interesting when you see these kind of sons of NBA players and how they're kind of evaluated. But, um, but yes, according to the 24 seven composite, he's a, uh, he's a three star. So a uh, three star point guard. So um, now, anybody good. that saw anybody that saw him play in who Paul mm. knows that if he is a three star, it's a high three star. Oh, that's I'm, I missed him playing at who Paul. Okay. Cause he was really good. Oh, <laughs> uh, he you? was really, yeah, he was, he was terrific. And, um, yeah, so I don't think and, – and like I said, I mean, we talked about it. Malcolm Turner uh, is – I forgot his name and remembered it. His is the athletic director at Vanderbilt, uh, former director of the G League, knows basketball, um, and, and him and Bryce seem to be close. I think Bryce is going to get at least another year to kind of get things straight. Um, and, you know, and, and probably should just because of the Darius Garland injury. I mean, everybody talks about – how they brought in uh, all the top guys, the best recruiting class in Vanderbilt history, but it doesn't really play out that way when your lottery pick point guard is hurt in the fifth game. Oh, and just again, they like 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 we talked about. A lot of their kind of complementary pieces are, are really really good. They're just missing that one um, kind of central piece. So I mean, that would have been Darius Garland. So uh, they they this season really could have had a different complexion. And you look towards next year, so. Um, they lose Garland. They'll probably lose Chateau, um, but maybe he'll come back honestly because I don't think he's really, really won a lot of people over with his play this year. He's been good, but not excellent. Um, and the only person they graduate is Joe Toy. So I, I, they, if uh, if they, you know, they bring back Neesmith, who's been really good. They bring back Saban Lee. Um, I really, you know, I really like that Matt Ryan will be a senior and Yanni Wetzel will be a senior, and they bring in a good recruiting class. Um, yeah, they could be uh, they could be a little bit better next year. Yeah, and Yanni Wetzel's a guy who you, you mean you just mentioned. I think he's a good defensive player already. Um, so, you know, 
you get him a little growth offensively and <laughs> teach him a drop step. Uh, so he doesn't really seem to know what to do when he gets the ball in the post. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a team that that is better than its O and whatever it is record in the SEC, which is why Florida has to be really, really careful Wednesday night. It's just the margin for error on the quote-unquote terrible bubble. It's small because, as we talked about on the show, conference tournament play starts next week, and that's where the bubble really gets defined. Yeah, I would just really love for the Gators to not uh, keep losing in their first game of the SEC tournaments. And uh, <laughs> if ever a year to stop, this would be a, uh, this would be the one. So, uh, and it's just interesting. You look at uh, you look at um, you look at the way that uh, obviously the season uh, is is kind of shaping up to to go next. Um, I would say, uh, obviously, it's it's kind of um, it, it, there's there's a chance that Florida obviously goes uh, goes ten and eight, who kind of the record we've talked about is for a while as as what would kind of get them in. And it's just crazy because if you look at, uh, at 10 and 8, uh, that would have been good enough for fourth in the SEC last year because uh, Florida was, uh, was 11 and 3 last year in, uh, and they were third in the SEC. So it is interesting yeah. just to see year to year what, what kind of records, um, where they kind of land. But also, yeah, if Florida does end up 10 and 8, which is looking like they very much might, that would be, uh, that would be a decent seed that uh, should hopefully avoid any, uh, any really bad first round matchups or anything. And that could, uh, hopefully that can, uh, get Florida the wins they need to not only be, uh, be kind of comfortably into the tournament, but, or sorry, not just be in the tournament, but to be comfortably in the tournament where you're a seed, like maybe they can get up to the 10 line or, or something like that. Um, which actually for the record, I mean, we could talk about this other time, but I'm going to bring it up now, but, um, I, I would rather have Florida be on the 10 line than even the eight or nine line, which is my take of, so if you're, if you're in that eight, nine game, <laughs> You've got that challenging game, but then if you win it, you're probably playing the one seed. That presumably right. is what it's one sixteen game. Where if you're the ten seed and you're playing a ten seven game, you've obviously got you're probably a little bit of an underdog. But you win that game, and then you're not playing the one seed. You're you're kind of you know, you're playing it like probably a two or three, which I would probably rather do than be the in the eight or nine seed, win a game, and then play the number one. So uh, if Florida can win, and that's why I mean, if you look at the you look at the way that like teams have gone on kind of deep tournament runs that are. Um, from from kind of lower seeds, there's been a lot more teams that are at the ten or eleven line that there have been at the at the eight or nine line, just because that eight or nine line usually gets wiped out by the one seed. So uh, I think if you look at NCAA history history kind of uh, tournament history, I think that you'd uh, you'd like to see Florida probably at the uh, ten or eleven line. And even though that doesn't sound great, um, I'd rather have them do that than uh, than bump themselves up to to like eight or something somehow with a with a yeah. tournament run. And, and that's the thing. I think I think the ceiling is probably like seven with with if they go eleven and seven in the SEC and then win maybe a game or two in Nashville, then you know yeah maybe they're a seven seed because they'd have two LSU wins presumably at that point and then another win in the SEC quarterfinals over someone. Um, and you know even in that scenario you're in a better better spot than if you end up being an eight nine. Uh, my concern, I guess, in that regard, that now that you bring it up, is that you wonder if eleven and seven in the SEC almost means that Florida is sort of locked into an eight nine because because right. that's a pretty good record in a league that right now is ranked second. Yeah, that so. would, yeah, that would be a, a, an unfortunate outcome if if uh, yeah Florida did just go on a a crazy run just enough to. Uh, get an eight or nine seed and, and maybe win and then have to play Virginia or something. So, right. but Hey, I, you know, at the same time, I might, I might just take it because there is some kind of a, 
satisfaction and, and being a nine seed versus an 11 seed and, and just kind of maybe even team perception. So, but Hey, we'll see. Yep. That's why they play the games, including a big one Wednesday night. So thanks for uh, joining us. We will be back Thursday and we will talk about uh, what happens at Memorial gym. Um, I should have like loaded up some Halloween organ music, but oh well, <laughs> do that for the edits. So thanks everybody for listening and, <laughs> listener questions on the back end.